I'm Paul Kurtz along with John McDevitt and we are the Beer and Booze Bros. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Shut up. Today on the podcast. We kind of look at the whole brewing process through like the eyes of a chemical engineer. Villanova students. Temperature control and a fermenter. Learn about the craft beer brewing biz. Alpha acids versus aromatic oils that can all be modeled. At 2SP Brewing in Aston, Delaware County. Using chemical engineering equations. They roll up their sleeves on canning day. And a microbrewery with 12 locations in the area is also jumping in on the canning craze. We go to Iron Hill in Huntington Valley. Later in the podcast, the annual Philly Wine Week uncorked with more than 100 events throughout the city. I like to say, real men drink pink. What was your favorite so far? Honestly, the Beaujolais. It was sexy. sexy. It's like a cinnamony, chocolate, sexy, smooth. Somebody bring up the music. Go ahead. <laughs> And the Trestle Inn in the Callow Hill section of Philly holds a bourbon battle benefiting an animal welfare organization. All the bartenders in the competition were sure getting creative. Got that right. There's beets in here. Beets, love beets. Beets, yeah. Lots of beets. It's got a little bit of jalapeno in there just to round it out, but it's super, super mild. Um, You know, don't want to kill anybody. There's uh, There's also umbrellas. Will we taste the umbrellas? Yes, I think you might. Right now, I'm tasting purple. We go to 2SP Brewing and Tasting Room in Aston, Delaware County. It was canning day. A mobile canning service rolls up and all hands are on deck to can. We meet up with 2SP co-founder Mike Contreras. 2SP, what does it mean how to get its name? So we started this brewery up three years ago and I came from another brewery, Dogfish Head and, and Rogue. And one of my buddies who runs a restaurant calls Two Stones Pub gives me a call and he says, hey, I'm thinking about starting a brewery. You know, a lot of breweries have been popping up. I had a good job and I was just like, ah, I don't know about this. And then he tells me I've got Bob Barrar, um, who's our head brewer. He was with Iron Hill Media. He's one of the most awarded brewers in the country. So I was like, all right, let me let me talk to you a little bit. What's going to be the name? And he's like, I, I can't think of one. I'm th- just thinking about shortening up the name of the pubs. We're not that clever. So we just said, all right, let's go with it. So it's 2SP. In other words, Two Stones Pub. Only wow. three years. I, you've really blown up in three years. Yeah, we're trying. I mean, it's Bob has kind of got a nice reputation um, with uh, the beer community. And he was at Iron Hill uh, for 15 years. So I was like... In my mind, it's like having an Olympic swimmer in a bathtub, you know what I mean? He's just kind of like, he had, his beers had to be contained there, and now finally people are able to get his beers on tap wherever they drink. Uh, there was a big demand for it locally, and yeah, we kind of seized on it, and it's been going well. It's been going well. So we're here for the canning. Um, so we came in the back way, and uh, what's going on over there? And, and, and what kind of what, what beer is being canned? Sure, sure. So we're canning our. our it's actually become our most popular beer. Uh, before it was Delco Lager. Now it's our new hazy IPA. Uh, it's called Up and Out. So hazy IPAs are kind of a new trend where 
for most people who've had IPAs, they're typically West Coast style IPAs. They're really, you know, bitter and dry on the back end. Hazy IPAs or New England IPAs are sometimes referred to are much more aromatic, much more flavorful without the bitterness. So, yeah, and that, that's the trend right now. We learned that, Paul, right? Yes, uh, that, in a that, previous episode we learned that. I heard of New England style, but I didn't, I, I didn't know it was synonymous with hazy. Yeah, so, yeah. It's kind of, it's still a new territory for, for brewers, and it all started up in New England. And, yeah, they're not up uh, into cleaning their beer, I guess. So uh, <laughs> clean, clean beer is a German thing, um, and it's, you know, for some a mark of real quality and brewers strive for that and just because a beer is hazy doesn't mean anything other than typically it's unfiltered so we have a a beer called 2S Pills it's a Keller beer it's a German style Pilsner that's unfiltered so it's going to be cloudy so the Germans do it too any purists out there who say a beer needs to be clear clean you know there there have been some variations in the past so whoa there's a kitty hi kitty (laughs) Um, so this is the beer you were talking about the Mm -hmm. hazy IPA up and out hazy IPA and you're promoting it as hazy IPA exactly yeah and it's just become a, a moniker that's become very popular the style and people really search it out and look for it it's kind of just blown up for us where you know we we've, we're based out of Delaware County Delco we're a local brewery in Pennsylvania but to people in Bucks County they don't really know about Delco or Delaware County all too much so when they hear about Delco Lager they're like ah we don't know this kind of beer, this hazy IPA, uh, they're giving us a shot and they're finding out, you know, Bob's making some great beer. Cans have become extremely popular. They, they work as well, if not better than bottles because uh, when beers get skunked, it's often because light's hitting the bottle and there's oxygen ca- uh, you know, in between the cap and the, the uh, end of the liquid, so that empty space. So the gases kind of activate and skunk the beer. Cans, nothing's really exposed. So canned beer is as good, if not better, than, uh, than bottles. So, so where are we here? Take us through the canning operation. Yeah. So we're basically pulling from these tanks right into this canning line. And this, uh, it's, I think it's what's called a forehead filler. So it fills four cans at once. It does about, 100 cases an hour um, and so basically we're filling it sealing it uh, crimping it um, and then we're stickering it so and that liquid is a water beer what is that yeah liquid? so again the biggest part about uh, uh, the brewing process is cleanliness so the cans need to be clean and sterilized because um, if any kind of farm particulate that's in there could compromise the beer the cans are coming down downhill and then they're getting turned yep. and it looks like the water's squirting in each can. Exactly, yeah. So basically the they are turning and they're being uh, soaked so they, they're getting cleaned at every angle. So nothing's left untouched. Uh, it's all clean. All the cans are cleaned off. So it's being, it's being sanitized, filled, canned, sealed, and then... You ever have to throw any of these beers out if they don't pass the test? Uh, yeah, yeah, you'll see a pink bucket right there. Um, so if, uh, right behind Chris, our other brewer. So those are kind of, those beers we keep here, we drink them really quick. We don't let them get out to market. Uh, they are put to good use, so... Um, so then it uh, goes over to labeling, I guess? The cans are filled, uh, they're sealed, but they haven't been labeled yet. So Ruby is uh, placing the cans on the, the labeler. And it basically has a, you know, just a way of ripping the sticker off uh, of the spool and putting it right on the can. 
This is a big deal. Everybody partakes in this. Yeah, this is a big deal for us because this is our, it's the launch of our newest can. So our guys want to make sure that everything's, you know, oh, everything's up to code and up to snob. Some new folks here, uh, actually from Villanova University, who are uh, doing a school project with, with the canning process. chemical engineering students and we're taking a course this semester called brewing technology and science and then we're coming here just to help out today but also we're going to look at how the mobile um, canning process works look at how that goes what have you learned so far i mean we just took a little tour and this is pretty cool and well, one thing i see is that they really are paying attention to uh consistency and also cleanliness yeah for sure for us this is our first experience we've learned a lot about the brewing process and read a lot about it but all the details that go into it are really mind-blocking. Chemical engineer, so, but what's your interest in brewing, aside from drinking heavily? Sure, this is, I mean, there's a lot of chemical engineering and brewing. Um, so we kind of look at the whole brewing process through like the eyes of a chemical engineer. Um, so with temperature control and a fermenter or um, the boiling process or how um, hops release alpha acids versus aromatic oils, that can all be modeled uh, using chemical engineering equations. So we kind of look at the more science side of it. Obviously we get to have fun too and learn about different types of beer and learning about how the brewing industry has changed over the course of history. But we really look at it through a very like scientific method and seeing how little things can change. Um, you know, uh, this is a male dominated industry yeah. and it's, it's changing. I would say that's how it is with all of engineering and chemical as well. So I mean, it's cool that a group of three girls can come out here and participate. Um, I definitely think that probably wasn't the case even 10 years ago. Um, so for chemical engineering in the brewing industry in general, I think there's a huge shift. Um, and just to feel welcome and invited and not like you're an outsider, I think is really cool. And I think is an awesome step of progress for women engineers and women brewers everywhere. Yeah. Canning is on the rise, keeping craft beer fresher and longer. Yeah, Iron Hill Brewery in Huntington Valley has released a couple of new creations in cans, and there's more to come. Chris Loalbo. Jeff Gundrum. So Jeff is the uh, head brewer here at Iron Hill in Huntington Valley. Chris is the GM. First of all, you guys are blowing up. I'll get to that in a minute. The, the, the franchise is blowing up, I, I understand. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about your canning operation, because that too seems to be blowing up. You have some new uh, beers coming out in cans for the spring, right? So Sweet Leaf just launched on Friday. So I just put my own batch on tap. So Sweet Leaf's uh, it's American IPA. Very delicious, uh, piney citrusy notes. That's probably one of my favorite beers in the company too. And actually, a uh, pretty cool fact about it is uh, the batch here is uh, actually going to World Beer Cup to compete for um, IPAs. Oh, really? Congratulations. Thank you. How many different styles of cans do you have out there right now, and, and why does it seem so important to you? So we've got an Orhouse IPA currently, Rising Sun IPA. We also have the Sweet Leaf, which is a new one, Pig Iron Porter. Also the Bedotter is currently in cans. Do you have any uh, best sellers of those, Chris? Best sellers, I think it's going to be the Sweet Leaf. The IPAs definitely pick up a lot, and those seem to be the top sellers. We just started selling our Ore Houses, which is one of our signature beers, and that's been going out a lot. But people like different things. The Rising Sun is a very unique beer because it uses Sriracha Ace hops, which is uh, a hops from uh, the Japanese, Japanese hops, which is something different. So people t tend to get tired of the IPAs after a while, and they want to try something different. 
So that seems to be a great seller. But we're real hopeful that the Sweet Leaf, which is the first time we've ever canned it, right? Yes, indeed. And it's uh, probably my favorite can so far in the company. It's looks really cool. Yeah. Uh, two of the canned beers are, are lagers. Are lagers coming back? Uh, lagers are the probably the hardest beers to make. And the reason for that is any mistake that you make in that particular beer style shows up in the beer since it's such a delicate beer. Our next can for that is going to be uh, Clock Out, which is an American Pilsner. So traditional German Pilsners are all German hops. This one's going to use American hops. So all those piney citrusy notes, nothing too overbearing where it's an IPA or anything like that. So it's still approachable by all of your uh, lager drinkers. Do, do brewers ever get it wrong? And if so, what do you what do you do with it? There's no mistakes, just happy accidents. There's always a way to recover it. Really, the thing though is uh, making sure you're following all of your uh, the guidelines and using your beer knowledge and definitely paying attention to everything that's going on in that room. You walk away for one second, and that could be a beer going down the drain. So it's always good to be cautious of what's going on. Always be aware of your surroundings. We have 12 locations, and I work with some of the some of the best brewers in the country, to be honest. Between these guys, all of them, a lot of them have 20 years experience. So I can always phone call away, I can always uh, call one of the other brewers in the company, and they can always give me guidance as well. Chris, yes. looks like you have a, a good crowd. Business has been good? Business has been great. We've been very fortunate. We try to make this place a second home for our guests. 12 locations? Correct. But there are secret plans for Iron Hill to take over the world, I understand. <laughs> or at least expand. <laughs> we are. We're trying. We're opening up four locations this year. Uh, Rehoboth, Center City, and then we're going down to the Carolinas. Uh, South Carolina is going to be uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. So we're opening up four this year, and uh, that's the most we've ever, ever, ever opened up within the company. Philly Wine Week made its return for the fifth year. There were more than 100 events planned in eight days, including the signature kickoff known as Opening Corks. Paul, we're here. We were looking forward to this. For many, many moons. Opening Cork of Philadelphia Wine Week. And we have a guest. And she is an expert, not, not just in her job. She's Pat Loeb, our City Hall Bureau Chief, but she is also a wine aficionado. And that's why we roped her into this thing tonight. Tell us about your wine background, which goes back to your Boone's Farms days, as I remember. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, I've been in a wine tasting group where we do blind tastings. So I've learned a lot about wine, what to look for in it. And mostly I've learned what I like. What I found out is one of the, the good news is I'm a cheap date. <laughs> I like the, generally the cheapest wine that we taste. And it's not just me, our group, maybe because that's what our palate was raised on, but we, we tend to like those better. And I think one reason is that wines get to a point where they're so complex and subtle, you don't taste the difference anymore. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you can tell the difference between a $5 bottle and a $10 bottle, and maybe even a $10 bottle and a $20 bottle. But the difference between a $20 bottle and a $40 bottle, I agree. It's I agree. To, it's hard to taste. Uh, and I, I don't go there that that, that much, but uh, around the holidays, I'll spend 25 or 30 for a couple bottles, and I'm invariably disappointed. I'm thinking, <laughs> this $12 bottle I bought is just as good, as, at least for me. Exactly, exactly. So this was an interesting tasting yeah. because we had some really high-end wines and then we had some really low-end wines here tonight at the at the wine at Wine Week. What was your favorite table so far? <laughs> well, there was a table in there 
that had a Chat Neuf du Pop, which is the king of wine. They had a 2005 white burgundy, so that's unusual. Really unusual, they had a 1999 white burgundy, so you really don't keep white wine for 19 years, and if you tasted it, you found out why, because it was corked. It, it definitely tasted more like cork than anything in the wine. So aging the wine, that's usually typically done with red wines? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. What did you find, John? What, the, what were your adventures? Uh... There were more than 100 wines, I think, to taste tonight. I think we did about, what, 20 or 30? <laughs> we got more to go. Um, I have some paperwork here and cards. And I might add, it's crumpled paper. Yes. Uh, John has amazing pockets that carry an amazing <laughs> mouth. I told him it's like it's the magician's hat, but doves are flying out of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of the things, uh, I was going for like a myth buster, the rosés. Uh, rosés, a lot of people think that rosés are only for women. Women can only drink them, but I talked to several folks out there, and uh, the phrase I learned was, real men drink pink. Where are you from, what's your name? I'm from uh, Soiler Selection, my name is Giacomo Delisi. Okay, so, so uh, you have a, a wide selection here, but I hear real men drink rosé. I like to say, real men drink pink. <laughs> That's awesome. Where are we, and uh, what do we got? Can I have some? So this is uh, from Strand. This is the uh, Blau Frankish Rosé from the Bergenland of Austria. 100% Blau Frankish. Uh, fermentation is stainless steel. Spends about four months on the lease. We're from a place that uh, you know you would never think to find rosé, but when you when you try a glass, it's really uh, something different, very unique. A lot, to have. People, a lot of people use this as a bridge, right, between red and white. Is that right? They can, but for me, hey, you know, you find a great rosé you like to enjoy, there's nothing wrong with drinking it through the entire meal. And there's a myth that it's sweet. This is not sweet. No, it's not. Some people like to see, like, what white Zinfandel everybody sees rosé, they think it's sweet. And I'm like, no, it's the opposite. Yeah. You know, you can have this with fish and so many different so many different entrees and pairings that really, you know, we could have a whole dinner with so many different rosés take you from the beginning to the end. Real men drink pink. Always. I tried to learn a little bit more about the lighter wines because I, I like big wines, I like big beers, I like spicy food. I just need to spread out a little bit more, get a little more subtle. With did learn more about uh, the lighter, the, the lighter wines. Is that the is that the right term? What do we call those? Um, a light bodied wine. The light light bodied. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. But give me an example. Would you try? Well, it was red. I, There were many people at the opening cork event who were finding their new favorite wine. Yeah, we're from Jersey. Oh, okay, cool. Doesn't well, count. welcome to the other side of the bridge. Oh, uh, yeah. they're from Jersey. What does that mean? They're from Jersey. Oh, okay. From South Jersey. All right. So, um, okay, your name is Jahira. Jahira. Jahira and Jamira and Ebony. 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 So. What was your favorite so far? Honestly, the Beaujolais. Yeah. It was sexy. sexy. It's like a cinnamony, chocolate, sexy smooth. Somebody bring up the music. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, like, it's like, oh, okay. Like Barry White should be in the background. It's something. like, that, yes. Yeah, it's like Marvin Gaye. Yes. Yes. Weird. So Somebody's 
getting lucky. Are you hot just like an oven? Yes. <laughs> yeah, put it behind your ears and... Wait, put it behind your ears? Yeah, like perfume. You'd be like, you hit the hot spot. So it's behind your ears, on your wrist, behind the knees. Now, wait I just want to smell no. like this all day. <laughs> Boujolet. Boujolet. It's all day Boujolet. Let's go. That was the Boujolet table. You Is there any, uh, anything else you want to educate us on? Uh, I tell you to try the French wines. They're really good. There's a guy from the Loire Valley there, especially if you like the rosé. Mm -hmm. He's got a bubbly two whites and rosé. The Loire Valley is a really wonderful wine region that um, is not as well known in the United States as, say, Bordeaux or, or Burgundy. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your expertise. <laughs> well, such as it is. <laughs> <laughs>Trestle Inn at 11th and Callow Hill. It has a 1960s and 70s vibe, and there are classic cocktails, craft beer, and a wide selection of whiskey. We talk with one of the owners, Josette Bonafino. We are the Beer and Booze Bros, right, Paul? Indeed we are. And we're here for booze. We got lots of booze here. And you pride yourself in your program here, don't you? We do, yep. We have over 70 whiskeys, um, small batch, international, predominantly American bourbons. Wow. Who do you uh, like the best about your bar? Well, as a famous disco singer once said, I like the nightlife. I like to boogie. Um, that's me. I'm very attracted to the nightlife and throwing events and making parties and um, gathering people for a good time. But I also really love the fact that we attract a very diverse crowd sure. to the festival. You never know who you're going to get. Um, older, younger, black, white, gay, straight. So I think the Trestle Inn is a little microcosm of what we're all trying to make in the world at large. And there are go-go girls. And there are go-go girls. Yeah, but we want to point out, there are go-go girls like your mama used to know, not what people think go-go is today. This is like old-fashioned, get the party started go-go, not like yeah. dirty go-go. Right. And that's really, it's, it's, it's classy for sure. Just open your mind, have a good time, have a drink, enjoy yourself. And the party was in full swing. In fact, there was a bourbon battle going on. You are going to vote for your favorite Woodford Reserve bourbon cocktail out of four. I'm going to hand you your passport. There are four bars. Passport. This sounds official, Paul. This is, uh, yeah. I don't have a passport. Well, this is your passport for tonight. This all is right. all you need, right? This is not good for you to leave any place but 11 and Callahill, by the way. <laughs> okay. It's the Trestle Inn's sixth year holding the event with a big chunk of ticket sales going to benefit charity. This year, the Pennsylvania SPCA is the recipient. Julie Klim is the CEO. Tonight's event specifically goes to a specific program directly to the animals, and it goes to our pet retention program, which is a really cool program we have to keep animals in the home. Because we don't look at it as that we adopt out animals and then we never think about it again. A big part of our mission is to, to be a part of the city and to make sure that the animals are living good lives once they're in the home. So that 100% of the proceeds from tonight go directly to those efforts. 
well, cheers, and thank you, and, and, and I hope you get a lot of money. I hope so, too, and, and thank you both for coming. Thank this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Guests went to four stations, four different bars competing for best bourbon cocktail. Shutter. I'm the head bartender at the Whetstone Tavern in Queen Village. Cool. So what do you got for us? Uh, we have the Beat Beat, Who Got the Keys to the Jeep. It's a whiskey-fied tiki cocktail. It's got um, some beet shrub, allspice dram, lemon and grapefruit, and a lot of alcohol. Nice. What do you got? What, what's going on here? You're going to get a lot of um, deep herbal notes of richness coming out of it, coming from the beets. And then on the nose, you're going to get that like real bright freshness from the mint. Yeah. So there's beets in here. Beets. Love beets. Beets, good yeah. Lots of beets. It's got a little bit of jalapeno in there just to round it out, but it's super, super mild. Um, you know, don't want to kill anybody. There's also uh, there's also umbrellas. Will we taste the umbrellas? Yes, I think you might. Right now, I'm tasting purple. <laughs> the winner, Aaron Wolfson from the Trestle Inn with his Psycho Beach Party Cocktail. Psycho Beach Party Cocktail? Yeah. Whoa. So this is called the Psycho Beach Party. Yeah. And what it is is a Asian themed, basically kind of like a weird, almost boat drink, except for it has no rum in it. It's a whiskey themed like beach cocktail. Okay. It's got blood orange. Uh, it's got mango, mango chutney. It's got a little bit of lime juice, a little bit of ginger, Thai hot peppers, and uh, it has both. Woodford Reserve bourbon and their rye. You excited? I'm excited. All right. <laughs> you're going to get something that's going to be fruity and also have a little bit of bourbon and rye kick to it, but also at the end you're going to have a little bit of spice. Psycho Beach Party. Well, that's it. We'll have another round of Beer and Booze Bros real soon. You can find and subscribe to the Beer and Booze Bros on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Beer and Booze Bros is on Twitter, at the Beer Bros. That's with a Z at the end. You can find me, Paul Kurtz, on Twitter, backwards, at Kurtz Paul. John McDevitt is at JM1060. Serving up a cocktail of cleverness, Tom Rickert. He'll produce this episode of Beer and Booze Bros. Tom is on Twitter, at T Rick. Cheers, Johnny. Cheers, Paul. Open your mind, have a good time, have a drink, enjoy yourself. 